Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number 56. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Today we're extremely lucky to be joined by the 2017 Bodybuilding.com spokesmodel winner, Nick Cheadle. Now Nick and I have known each other for a few years now. He actually coached me for one of my physique competitions in 2015. He's a great bloke, an extremely knowledgeable guy, and has a very impressive physique. Um, he's very willing to share a lot of his content, a lot of his knowledge on training, nutrition, recovery, and whatnot through his social media platforms, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. So I definitely recommend going to check those out if you don't follow Nick already. You're going to get a ton of value out of today's interview, guys. There's so many knowledge bombs. Um, so I want you guys to keep your ears peeled, sit back, relax, enjoy today's episode. If you have any feedback or any questions, Feel free to let either Nick or I know. I will link all these social media um, links in the show notes below. But if you want to send me an email at danny at dannykennedyfitness.com or just leave a review on the podcast, it'd be much appreciated. So that's enough talking from me. Let's get into today's episode. All right, guys, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. And as I just mentioned, we are extremely lucky today to be joined by uh, Nick Cheadle. So Nick, welcome to the show, man. G'day, man. Thanks for having me. No worries. I've been meaning to try and get you on for a long time now, so it's good to um, finally tee it up. Hey, looking forward to it. Bring it on. Mate, first of all, um, I just wanted to get you to kind of mention a little bit about yourself, what you do, kind of a bit of background on your story so far for anyone listening that doesn't know about you or, or doesn't really follow your journey so far. So, easy, man. So, I've been a, a PT and an online coach for uh, just over nine years now. Um, I guess when I put it that way, it feels like uh, a much longer time than it, than it has been. But uh, yeah, uh, PT uh, a few hours a week and work with clients individually. Uh, I uh, like my strength training uh, as well as my bodybuilding specific work. Um, and I guess uh, I sort of specialize with uh, topics around flexible dieting, uh, DUP training, certain things like that. Um, but I mean, as far as uh, how I make a living and pay the bills, I'm a personal trainer and online coach. Yeah, awesome. And you mentioned bodybuilding before. Do uh, you want to mention some of the competitions and federations that you've competed in so far? Yeah, for sure, man. So I've actually competed uh, three times on stage uh, in a, uh, I guess, physique-style competition, two A and B shows. Uh, I placed third at the Nationals and then uh, failed to impress anybody enough at the Asia-Pacific competition. Uh, and then most recently, I competed in a WBFF show in 2014 in fitness and muscle model divisions. Uh, and then I guess you could also count the bodybuilding.com spokesmodel search at the start of the year, although that was a little bit more relaxed as far as a uh, competition is concerned. Awesome. And uh, in the intro, which, which you wouldn't have heard, but I, I did mention a little bit about the bodybuilding.com spokesmodel search. So do you want to tell the listeners about kind of that whole process, um, how it come about, and then any of the opportunities that have kind of come up since then? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, every year, bodybuilding.com hold their annual spokesmodel search. They're basically looking for one male and one female to become the face of the brand for the uh, next 12 months. They allow anybody to register. All it takes is simply uh, a video explaining why you want to be and why you think you deserve to be the bodybuilding.com spokesmodel for that year. Uh, from there, they narrow the uh, contestants down into a top 20, which is then voted upon by the public. So um, I guess I, uh, I asked people that follow me to sort of help me out and vote for me. 
Uh, from there, they picked the top five, and, and the top five were flown, both male and female, were flown to Boise in Idaho, where we uh, took part in a whole bunch of photo and video shoots, as well as uh, interviews, and uh, assessed on how we were um, engaged with people, and spoke on camera, and all manner of things, before yep. the uh, very last part of the competition was a stage performance. So. Got to uh, get back into the short shorts, rock the, uh, the stage outfit with uh, four guys that uh, I just met, but we're all absolute champion dudes, and I guess fortunate enough to uh, walk away with the win on that uh, on that occasion. And, and now I am a bodywood.com athlete. I'm the 2017 spokesmodel. Um, got the uh, the chance to go to Boise and then uh, to LA after that, where we actually competed at the LA Fit Expo, uh, and now I uh, have. Uh, I guess been fortunate enough to, to be signed to the team. That's huge, massive achievement, man. So congratulations on that. Appreciate it, dude. Awesome. And in, speaking of international travel, you've obviously done a little bit of it. Um, for those that follow you, they would have they would have seen that over the past few years. Uh, you are you are sponsored by Optimum Nutrition, I believe. You still up? That is correct. Awesome. And what what does that kind of involve? Obviously in regards to you receiving supplements and stuff like that, but you get the opportunity to go overseas to expos and all that type of stuff as well, yeah? Yeah, so I've been part of the uh, global team for a couple of years now. I think the first international expo I was taken to was the Olympia in 2015. Uh, and I guess for me, that was a bit of a pivotal turning point um, as far as uh, my exposure was concerned. I got the opportunity to rub, some, uh, rub shoulders with some of the uh, biggest names in the industry, and I think that really helped add a little bit of authenticity to my own brand as well as um, allow me the opportunity to tap into some larger networks, I think. Yep. Um, and then from there, yeah, I guess things have just sort of kicked on from there. I was fortunate enough to be involved in one of the Optimum Nutrition product launches in the, the video and, and um, photo campaigns for Gold Standard BCAAs. Yeah, so I've got some more traveling there and, uh, and do another couple of expos off the back of that. Um, and now it's uh, become a, a bit of an annual fixture, which is, is very cool. It, uh, it's one thing to be able to travel, but to be, to be able to be taken somewhere uh, for the purpose of you know, engaging with people to follow you and, and, uh, and I guess spending time with the international athletes and the guys with Optimum that are overseas, pretty awesome experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Unreal. I mean, I wanted to move into um, the topic of nutrition now. So you briefly mentioned before that you're an advocate for flexible dieting. Um, for those that listen to the show regularly, they'll definitely know what flexible dieting is and I guess if it fits your macros. But do you want to kind of talk about your outlook on nutrition and how you approach it and also um, obviously prescribing it to your, to your clients as well? Yeah, look, I think for me the biggest thing about, to be honest, life in general is that you need things to be sustainable. If you can't see whatever it is you're doing being part of your life in three months, three years, 30 years, then chances are it's probably not the best way to go about things. So when it comes to nutrition, I, I try and preach the most sustainable methods possible. And for me, that just doesn't include things like food restriction, excessive calorie restriction over the long term, missing out on things like social events and alcohol, and things that essentially most people would probably argue are the best or finer parts of life. So yeah. for me, it's all about figuring out a way that we can incorporate those things into a dietary regime uh, and making sure that when it comes time to make a call or um, you know, weigh up options, 
people are more understanding of the fact that you don't have to go without. It's more a matter of making choices for the long term and, and choices which enable you to um, get to where you want to be without, as I said, restricting yourself from certain scenarios or opportunities or, or foods in general. So, I mean, for all my clients, yeah, I, I obviously use flexible dieting. I try and teach them how to eat with their goals in mind. I control their intake via macro nutrient numbers and nutritional guidelines. Yep. So we teach them to eat the foods that they enjoy eating whilst stressing the importance of eating for health and, and strength training um, and fueling your, your sessions properly, basically. Awesome. And for those that are listening that are vegetarian or vegan or um, for whatever reason they, they choose to eat gluten-free or whatever, obviously flexible dieting caters for that as well, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, flexible dieting is... is simply giving you nutritional guidelines to work around, um, you know, you can quite easily incorporate your own food preferences into that simply because it allows you the opportunity to eat the foods that you want. So if there are some foods that for whatever reason you choose not to eat, no drugs, you can uh, obviously look at skewing your diet in that favor to make your life a little bit easier. Um, and from there, pick the foods that you see fitting or that you feel will help you stay on track the best. Yeah, definitely. Now, a question I wanted to ask, because this is something I get asked a lot as well, is if you know that you're going out for a meal, so let's say, for example, you've, uh, you're going out for dinner with the missus or whatever it may be, how do you structure your eating throughout the day to make sure that you can allow um, to basically go out and kind of eat what you want and still stay within your numbers? Uh, right now, I uh, just go out and eat and enjoy myself because uh, <laughs> lifestyle games. No, uh, if, I'm, if I'm trying to be uh, you know, as strict as possible, if I'm dieting and looking at Losing weight consistently, then it just comes down to planning ahead. Yep. Uh, if you know I'm going to go out for a meal, then I will do my very best to log that meal before I log any other food throughout the day, simply so I can see what sort of calories or macros I might have left over um, and allow myself to eat accordingly so I can fit that meal in. There's nothing worse than eating your normal day's worth of food and then getting to dinner, knowing that you're going out and realizing that the meal you're about to eat or the meal that you want to eat isn't going to fit into your numbers, so the only opportunity or the only option you have is to either not get something that you want to eat or blow your daily calorie allowance out of the water. So I always tell my clients to try and log whatever meal out they're going to be eating first, yep. and then accordingly throughout the rest of the day, because it effectively gives you the uh, uh, the ability to see things with hindsight before the fact. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and we've on the podcast we've discussed reverse dieting before, but what's your what's your um, I guess point of view on on reverse dieting? How quickly do you reverse someone out of a deficit? Um, yeah, what? How do you approach it? Uh, I think reverse dieting is a bit of a buzzword within the industry, and I think uh, those that tend to talk about it um, sort of perpetuate the issue that uh, or perpetuate the idea that it's this magic trick to. Uh, you know, get the body to eat more calories without gaining weight. Reverse dieting, in my opinion, is the process of removing yourself from a deficit. Yep. I.e., yep. the second you hit maintenance and begin gaining weight, your reverse diet is over. Mm -hmm. um, I think people tend to think of reverse dieting as the process of slowly adding in calories, um, which is fair enough. If you choose to do that at the end of a diet, that's cool. Um, but once you hit maintenance and begin gaining weight, you're no longer reverse dieting, you're bulking. Bulking, yeah. Uh, so for me... Um, I've had the experience firsthand of reverse dieting very slowly from the end of a diet, i.e. I finished my diet and then slowly introduced calories, therefore 
simply all I ended up doing was reducing the size of the deficit I was in initially uh, until such time as I hit maintenance and, and started to move into a surplus. Um, for me, that was absolutely, it, was, it wasn't a regret, but I would never do it again. Yeah. It's, all it did for me was extend the period of time that I was dieting. I had no concrete goal at that point to continue to lose weight. Um, and in hindsight, it was, it was a period of probably three to four months that I could have been spent growing and building more strength and muscle. Whereas all I was doing was simply chipping away at the size of the deficit I was in. Uh, so now I always give my clients the option simply because I, you know, I'm here to facilitate whatever changes they wish to make. But in saying that, my strongest recommendation is that when you finish dieting, you are done with the fat loss process, get back to maintenance as quickly as possible, within a week or two, and then look to increase calories from there based on how aggressively you wish to gain weight, um, if that is the goal, uh, or uh, give yourself the opportunity to tweak things after that initial increase back to maintenance. Simply because when you diet, your brain does silly things. And the sooner you can get out of that scenario and think more clearly, you'll have a much better idea as to what you wish to do moving forward if you aren't quite sure. Yeah, I think a big misconception that I find um, when people ask me about, about reverse dieting is at that stage where you are slowly increasing calories if you choose to do it slowly, um, and people think that they're losing weight, eating more food, when in actual fact they're still just in a calorie deficit, um, just not as large as what it was at the end of their cut, I guess. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, a few people get fooled too because, you know, there is some, uh, some evidence that would suggest that as you do increase calories, particularly initially, um, obviously you can experience an increase in, in NEAT, non-exercise related, yeah. um, non-exercise associated thermogenesis, um, which is essentially just meaning that you've got more calories on board to burn more calories. Mm. But obviously there's going to be a tipping point as to when that stops. Um, so initially whilst you might or most people tend to find that they have more energy and they can train a lot better which leads to a greater calorie burn um, it's only ever going to be a short term thing and the notion that you can trick the body into eating more calories is exactly that it's just it's rubbish you know yeah. I mean as, as great as that would be if we could do it you know everyone would do it if that were the case yeah exactly uh, it just doesn't work like that you know you can't you can't trick the body into anything it's like it's like not logging a cheat meal and just thinking because you didn't put it in my fitness pal, it's not going to count. Well, <laughs> it still counts that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. So there's heaps of really valuable content for you guys there. Uh, Nick, I wanted to move now into DUP. Um, what is it? How do you implement it? And why, why would you implement it into your training? So DUP stands for Daily Undulating Periodization. It's uh, a training... It's a, It's... I think most people get this confused because it's not a training program, it's a style of programming that allow or that focuses essentially on increasing total training volume over time whilst incorporating varying rep ranges and intensities to ensure that that can happen in a safe and optimal and sustainable manner. You know, a lot of people go into the gym these days and burn themselves out by hitting failure constantly and, and struggling to ever build any strength, um, which as a consequence means they struggle to build muscle too. Yep. Uh, simply because they're, they're consistently frying themselves and they're never leaving any room in the tank. Daily undulating periodization allows you to manage your workload and ensure that training volume increases sustainably over time. Um, so that you're gradually increasing more and more volume, you're gradually progressively overloading um, and never giving your body so much that it can't actually recover from it. Added to that, um, varying your intensities obviously helps with building both strength and muscle uh, which in terms, in turn, helps build muscle and strength. Mm -hmm. uh, it also allows you to 
you know, effectively hit multiple different types of muscle fibers um, and sort of kill two birds with one stone, whilst also meaning, whilst also allowing you to minimize recovery times by splitting up volume throughout the week um, and taking advantage of, I guess, the natural muscle building cycle of, of muscle protein synthesis. So there's a lot of arguments to say that training muscle groups or big lifts frequently is far more optimal for strength than hypertrophy. Um, simply because muscles are effectively ready to be broken down every 24 to, or sorry, 48 to 72 hours after you train them. So if you're only training muscle groups or big lifts once a week, chances are you're you know, giving yourself four to five days where you're missing out on potential progress. Added to that, two big lifts in particular, which is uh, which typically DUP is centered around, squat, bench, and dead. Um, they're skills. They're very hard mm. movements faster. So if you can incorporate them two, three, four times a week, chances are you're going to get a lot better at them, a lot stronger at them, much quicker than if you're only doing them once a week. You know, if you think about that on a yearly scale, squatting 52 times a year, I mean, you're never going to get anywhere near as much progress as if you're doing that 156 times a year if you were squatting, say, three times a week. Yeah, definitely. I know when I uh, went through a phase of DUP, uh, I think the biggest thing I found is what you mentioned is the fact that squats, bench, deadlifts, all these these lifts are skills. Like I've got so comfortable with squatting and deadlifting, it just felt 10 times better, even compared to when I was just squatting or deadlifting twice a week. Um, the, the improvements were huge in a very short period of time along with strength. Um, you don't have to give us exact numbers, but do you want to give us a rough idea of some kind of improvements you saw from when you started DUP to kind of, let's say, over a three-month period or what someone could expect to see in regards to strength? Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing about DUP is that it allows you to build strength working sub-maximally. Basically, what, what we're talking about there is staying well and truly away from one rep max in order to improve one rep max. Mm. So it really depends as to what your measure or what your goal is as far as how much progress you can make. If you just want to improve one rep max, then uh, you know you could be looking at, at increasing anywhere from sort of, um, I find, sort of how most clients can get from anywhere from 10 to 40 kilos just on their one rep max within a three-week period. Um, depending on the lift, of course, typically you won't see quite as large a jump on the bench press. Um, but there's no reason you couldn't add some pretty serious numbers to your squat, bench, and deadlift simply by following a sub-maximal style training program. Yeah. Um, as I said, the idea is to look at, at, at more of a volume type approach and, and get more of that in through time. Um, and then obviously when it comes to uh, testing one at max, having trains with so much volume and so much frequency under your belt, you'll have built a lot more work capacity than if you're just constantly going into the gym and winging and hitting failure more often than not. Plus, you'll find that, as I mentioned before, recovery is a much bigger component of your training. And as a consequence, that in turn is going to help with performance as well. Um, for me, it's, it's just one of those no-brainer things. Uh, and whilst it might seem counterintuitive to some when you first begin it, particularly because most clients, particularly clients that I've, I've been working with that have never done it before, they tend to find the weight feel very light. Um, mm. Time, they tend to climb much more quickly because we're still leaving plenty of energy and plenty of strength left in the tank so we can consistently overload rather than hitting a strength-based ceiling. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and guys, I'll put the link in the show notes below to the, the blog post or the article that Nick did for my website where he actually puts in a bit of a template of how you can set this up. But where does like the 
the accessory work come into this? Like, would you do that for those that have no idea about DUP? Would you do your accessory lifts on the same day, squat, bench, and dead, or is that on a separate day? Dude, uh, in the same way that I, I tend to preach personal preference with dieting, uh, the same goes for DUP. Um, because it's a style of programming centered around frequency, there's really no right or wrong answer to that. Um, it, it probably comes down first and foremost to the amount of time anybody has um, for the gym. You know, if you've only got three days a week, chances are you're probably going to have to incorporate at least some accessory work yeah. on the desk that you're also doing main lifts. Um, for me, something I've found to work very effectively is focusing on either one or two main lifts each day and then following that with you know, a, a number of accessory movements uh, in line with goals, of course, um, in order to get through adequate volume. Um, I tend to find, too, that incorporating multiple lifts on multiple days, very taxing way to do things. And if you are you know, a, a larger unit or, or a stronger dude or a guy or girl, um, chances are if you're working at, at higher percentages for any of your lifts, those sessions are going to be fairly demanding. So big fan of either one strength-based movement and then accessory work or maybe one strength-based movement, one hypertrophy-based movement and then accessory work on any given day. But as I said, it really depends on how much time you have to throw at the gym. If you don't have much time at all, then you're going to have to squeeze a lot more into the day you do train. Yep, yep, awesome. Awesome, mate. Th now, a question that I asked on um, a podcast recently, I think it might have been with um, with Stephen Hall, is where's a, where's a good... Um, place online for people to go and have a look at um, reliable information, whether it be training, nutrition, recovery. Is there any any websites or any people in particular that you like to to, to look at when you turn to um, trying to find out information? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so Alan Aragon is probably one of the leading sources for me. He uh, puts out a research uh, review every month. Uh, it's probably the best 10 bucks you'll ever spend to subscribe to that. Um, a whole bunch of science-based information and articles that comes through straight to your inbox every month. Brett Contreras is another great that puts out fantastic science-based stuff. James Krieger, Brad Schoenfeld, uh, Eric Helms of 3DMJ is fantastic. Um, Lyle McDonald puts out some great stuff too. They're the guys that I follow first and foremost. Um, yep. They're probably the ones that, that for me remain uh, most relevant within the industry. They're constantly looking into new research and putting practical applications to that science. Uh, I think one thing to be able to just regurgitate a lot of science and talk about you know, what a certain study showed, but being able to relate that to um, you know, everyday people in everyday language is probably pretty important as far as uh, you know, getting them to understand it is concerned. So those are the guys I definitely recommend. Uh, I think for me, Matt Ogus on, on uh, social media, I'm sure most of your uh, followers would have heard of him, puts out some pretty great content, so I'm, uh, I'm always checking out what he's got to say. Yeah, awesome, mate. Now, before we finish up, I wanted to find out, um, I guess, what's in what's in the future for Nick Cheadle. Have you got anything planned or anything coming up in regards to competitions, training, or, or what does the future hold for you? Uh, dude, no competitions for me at this stage. I just competed in my first powerlifting meet, and to be honest, I'm still sort of recovering from that. Um, definitely, uh, sort of experience a bit post competition blues, I think. Yeah. Uh, absolutely sapped me of, of all forms of energy, so I just sort of gradually making my way back into training. For me, mate, it's all about, um, you know, I really want this year to be the year that I sort of help more people than ever, so I've got a few, uh, few things on the cards. I'm building a membership website at the moment um, as an alternative low cost. 
um, I guess, uh, information portal for, for more and more people to have access to the, the training and nutrition-related information they need that is going to help them. Uh, and I've also got a brand new training program being launched on June 1st called Hyper SVD. As you may be able to guess, um, the idea being it's all about sort of strength and hypertrophy work featuring lots of squats and deadlifts. I think for me, the education component is a huge factor in allowing people to better understand what it is they need to do to look and achieve what they want to achieve in the gym. So to look the way they want to look and achieve what they want to achieve in the gym. Um, but I guess, uh, particularly when it comes to things like strength training, there's always going to be a lot of questions as to, am I doing this right? You know, how can I do this better? So this, uh, this hyper-SPD program is going to take the guesswork out of it. It's going to look at tailoring programming to everybody's one rep maxes and taking them through strength and hypertrophy training uh, and suitable progressions to ensure that they build strength and muscle mass as quickly as possible. Uh, ideally, without selling my soul like I feel so many people do within the industry. <laughs> awesome. That, that sounds really, really good, guys. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I'll put all Nick's social media links in the show notes below if you don't follow him already. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Really appreciate it. There's been a ton of value um, that people can take from, from today's interview. Too easy, dude. Pleasure to uh, be on the show. Thank you very much for having me. No problems at all. Hopefully, we'll have you on again at some stage in the future. Um, guys, if you have any questions about today's episode, um, either send me an email at danny at dannykennedyfitness.com. Uh, I'll most likely put a post up on Instagram, so feel free to go and leave a, uh, a comment there or, or contact Nick via his email, which will be in the show notes below as well. So thanks, Nick. Uh, appreciate you coming on, man, and look forward to uh, the next episode with you in the future. Peace, dude. No problem. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode with myself and Nick. If you haven't hit the subscribe button already, please do. I hope you're having a fantastic day, and I really look forward to chatting to you again in next week's episode.